welcome back to the Sit and Ponder podcast, where we seek to think more deeply about the scriptures and to ask the tough questions. Take a minute, grab your favorite warm beverage, and get ready to sit and ponder. All right, folks, welcome back. Let's continue to think about what it means to be a disciple, and specifically, we're in the series about loving one another. So let's start with our next statement that we're going to discuss today. Love creates a type of oneness like Jesus has with his Father. Loving one another creates a type of oneness like Jesus has with his Father. We're going to read John 17, or at least a portion of it here, where Jesus is praying for his disciples. And we're going to look at kind of part of the content of his prayer. Let's read. All mine are yours. He's speaking to his father here, of course. And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus here speaks of us belonging to Jesus and the Father, first of all. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. He speaks of himself being glorified in us. Okay, what does that exactly mean? He's going to elaborate upon that when he prays in the next line, for us to be one just as the Father and Jesus are one. Let's read it again. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one just even as we are one. So this is a theme all throughout some of the things we've been looking at recently, right? We're to love one another just as Jesus loved. We're to forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave us. And here, we're to be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. So there's this constant idea that what God does to us, who God is, is what we are to be just like. See, Jesus was an idealist, folks. He was an idealist. He was looking at the perfect. He was looking at the ideal. Jesus, of course, knows that we're never necessarily going to attain to all the ideals, but he still wants us to strive for them. He's still asking the Father to create them, and one day the ideal will be met. But on this earth, we still hold up the ideal as what we're seeking, what we're pursuing. Look what he says in John 14. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's really important, folks. Our love-based friendship with Jesus leads to obedience, first of all. Okay, so the love relationship we have with Jesus leads us to be more righteous in our obedience, in our practical obedience. And it puts us in a relationship with the Father. And the reason it puts us in a relationship with the Father is obvious. Because Jesus and the Father are one. So if we love Jesus, if we know Jesus, if we're obedient to Jesus, then we also have a love relationship with the Father because they're one. 
And it says there that Jesus and the Father make their home with us. We as humans have a very tangible concept of a home. A home is a place where we feel comfortable, relaxed, where we fellowship with our families. So God sees fellowship with him like him making his home with us. In the Old Testament, there was this thing called the tabernacle, which was a mobile tent where God dwelt among men and women. So God makes his home with us. He dwells among us through this love-based friendship that we have with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Loving Jesus and loving the Father is like inviting Jesus to live with you in your home, to be your real father, in a way. He continues in John 17. Let's go back to John 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, which would include those of us today who believe. So Jesus is praying for us right now in the modern day, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Okay, this is really important, folks. Through the love of Christ and through our belief and our trust in Jesus and in the Father, we are invited into the fellowship of the Trinity, the perfect, brilliant, love-based, affection-based, without any conflict, without any pain, without any brokenness. We are invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. And one of the reasons that we're invited into that fellowship is so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This echoes what Jesus says earlier that by this all men you will know my you are my disciples if you love one another. This oneness that we have that's unique only to the Trinity that gets passed on to us by faith and because of our connection to God's love puts on display to the world the kind of oneness that every human being is seeking, the kind of affection, the kind of belonging, the kind of unity that every human being is longing for in their broken, fallen, sinful existence. Read on. Jesus says, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Again, Jesus is an idealist, folks. We should be seeking to be perfectly one with other believers. Sometimes conflicts happen, brokenness happen, church splits happen, but it should be our desire, even in those situations, for reconciliation to happen. It should pain us that reconciliation isn't happening and that things aren't changing. Even if it's not possible for reconciliation to happen because the other person is too stubborn or there's a group of people that are too stubborn, we should always long for it, hope for it, be open to it because Jesus prayed that we would be perfectly one. That's the ideal. Again, he says again, we're going on, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Our oneness puts on display how much the Father loves Jesus. It also puts on display the unity of the Trinity. It also puts on display how much God loves them. Because what they see, folks, is that the Trinity, this perfect fellowship, invited believers into the Trinity. And when we manifest that oneness and show that oneness and that diligence, 
then other people see that they too can enter in to fellowship with the Trinity and have a sense of belonging and purpose and identity and have God make his home with them and invite them into his family. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Again, it's the love between the Father and the Son that we are now entering into and we're experiencing that same love and we're actually putting on display that love and we're trying to spread that love to others. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. And then again, this is how it's all tied into love. That the love with, with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is a passage about deep intimacy, unity, connection to love, connection to effectness, oneness of mind, oneness of heart, oneness of will. In the Trinity, there's perfect intimacy and oneness, no conflict, total cooperation, oneness of mind and purpose. Jesus says that he only does what the Father shows him to do. He also says that he only says what the Father tells him to say. They are one in will, one in action, one in purpose. They are not just a well-oiled machine, however, but they are a fellowship based upon love. They're not just a well-working computer. They're persons that love each other and have affection. The scripture says, in the Old Testament, that God is one. The scripture also says that God is love. Love is the source of the oneness in the Trinity. Love makes it a deep, satisfying, perfect relationship full of affection. Jesus wants his followers to possess that same oneness, sourced by that same love of God, which they access from God through the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other podcast on how we access the love of God through the Holy Spirit. Jesus prays that we would have that same oneness of love-filled fellowship, one mind and one heart. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Notice the one. One spirit, one body. Look at how this oneness plays out practically and how Jesus manifested this attitude. Talks about it in Philippians 2, folks. Philippians 2 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul begins Philippians 2 speaking about oneness again and about the same mind, the same love, and of one mind in full accord. And he's going to practically talk about how you do this. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So simple, guys. How does this practically play out? How does oneness preserved? Well, one major way it's preserved is by not being selfish or conceited, 
but instead exercising humility and counting other people as more significant than yourself. This is one of the big ways that we maintain the reality of being of one mind. Every time I've seen a division in the church, in my own life, with my wife, with my children, anytime I've had a broken relationship, it's either because of my selfishness and arrogance or pride, or it's because of the other person's selfishness or arrogance and pride, which could manifest itself in being mean, being unforgiving, or a variety of things. Or it might be because both of us had that going on. So Paul advocates for humility. And again, he's going to talk about that humility in the context of God and his example. Next. Have this mind among yourselves, he continues on saying, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped hold of but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave or servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Have you guys ever cared so much about loving your brothers and sisters and having a one-mind reality with them that you would be willing to humble yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross? says he emptied himself. Though he was God, he didn't grab hold of his deity as some sort of right that he flaunted around. He wasn't arrogant. He didn't walk around trying to get everyone to bow down and worship to him, even though he was worthy of all the worship. So God, who didn't even need to be humble because he was deserving of anything that he got, decided to exercise humility to set an example for us on how we tangibly and practically preserve love and oneness in our communities with one another. I can't think of any conflict that I've ever had where I was not exercising some selfishness or conceit or arrogance. It's so hard sometimes to just let go of the flesh nature of being proud and being selfish. And then it says, going on, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Humility manifested in selflessness is the fuel for preventing rivalries from taking root and for unity and oneness of mind to be accomplished. Jesus, though he was God, modeled this attitude for us so that we could see how to walk in oneness and cooperation with each other amidst a fallen world and a sin nature that's constantly begging us to do evil things. There are times to part ways with a person if they are rebellious and destructive, but in general, we seek oneness with fellow believers. It's an entire another topic to get into the idea of when do we choose to cast someone out because they become too destructive to our oneness and to the love of God. Look what Paul says about this. I appeal to your brothers by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. There is a oneness of mind, heart, and purpose that we should cling to, folks, even amidst conflicts. We have already looked at the importance of intentional forgiveness and reconciliation in a previous podcast. We can be one with people who have certain theological differences with us. We can be one with people who tend to annoy us. 
We can be one with brothers and sisters who hurt us and sin against us by properly navigating conflict resolution, forgiveness, and reconciliation. There's all kinds of wisdom in the scripture on how to navigate those things properly. We can prioritize oneness over getting our way or insisting that we are to be respected for our talents or abilities. We can prioritize oneness over opinions about things that aren't biblically necessary. We can long for affection even after a conflict with someone instead of just political niceness and polite separation. Our oneness should be a reflection of the oneness of the Trinity, and we should fight for that and long for it even if it has not yet been accomplished. We should be harder to divide than any group of people on the face of the earth because we have access to the oneness of the Trinity through the love of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet, folks, look at the church around us. Divisions are so common. People are so prideful that they get their egos hurt way too easily, myself included at times. We lack the humility to bear with people who are different weird to us, needy, broken, abrasive, passive-aggressive, etc. People are broken in so many different ways. This isn't to say that we don't confront each other ever or have hard conversations because we do that, but it's, just, it's to help one another grow and to improve our intimacy if we're humble and are willing to listen, not to divide us. If we were humble, we would invite critique, appreciate it, bear with it, We would tolerate people that were hard for us to hang with. We wouldn't let petty conflicts or differences of opinion so easily make us split into two groups or three groups or whatever. Fellowship splits often happen over theology about things like the rapture. Splits happen over music styles. They happen over small offenses that should be easily forgiven. They happen because a divisive person stirs up gossip and falsehood. Splits happen because people unjustly unjustly conjecture about someone's motives, which they can't see for sure. Splits happen because people are callous toward others, and it isn't very hard for them to just walk away from them. Splits happen because people don't hold themselves to a high standard of unity and oneness, like we've seen advocated here by Jesus in his prayer. God despises a lack of oneness so much that he lists divisive people or people who divide flocks as very dangerous people for fellowships. Titus 3 says, Warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Divisiveness is so dangerous to the progress of the gospel, to people seeing God through us, and to our fellowship and unity with each other, that Paul tells people to have nothing to do with them if you've warned them several times and they refuse to change their divisive ways. A person who is divisive is worth kicking out of a fellowship because they they destroy this vision of oneness, which is so, so important. God is into oneness, but certain people are so antithetical to oneness that they can't dwell in a fellowship. Rebellious people and divisive people who won't change their ways are a cancer that works against God's love. Look at what it says in Proverbs, elaborating on this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and the last one, 
a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Again, someone who stirs up division, takes away oneness, is one of the seven things that the Lord hates. We are to do everything we can in humility and sourced from love to keep our oneness, even if it means casting out someone who refuses to not be divisive. Paul echoes this sentiment yet again when he says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Listen to all these one terms. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all in all. That's a lot of ones, folks. Paul maps out again some of the virtues that we grab hold of to flesh this oneness out. Humility is listed. Gentleness. Patience. Bearing with one another. When it says bearing, there's an assumption that some tolerance, forgiveness, and pain may be required to make it in bearing with some other people. It says to exercise diligence in preserving the bond of peace, which means it's something that we may not always want to do. So we have to be diligent to do it. It's a discipline. We seek the bond of peace. Conflict, separation. Parting of ways should be a rarity among us, only in extreme cases where someone is something like a false teacher, a rebellious person who is intentionally reaping destruction or division. That should be the only extreme cases where division occurs. We should be able to bear with each other even when we struggle with sin. We admonish and correct, but we also love and stay in the battle together with all patience and humility recognizing that it's not just our brother that's messing up, but that we're also often messing up a lot, and we would love for people to extend grace to us. So listen to the themes so far in all these podcasts on, on loving one another. We started with love one another just as Jesus loved. Second, we said that we love Jesus because he first loved us. So we initiate and pursue others just as Jesus initiated and pursued us. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave us. Being sacrificially generous just as God has been sacrificially generous to us in the cross. Now we're going to be one with one another just as Jesus and the Father are one. So all these love one another subcategories that we've been talking about are all based upon the example of God and the example of Jesus, who is God. So we are responding to what we see God doing, to what we see the Trinity being about. And we're doing it in almost every one of these cases that I've just listed. Because we want other people to see God, to see his love, and to want to enter in to the fellowship of the Trinity, just as we have entered into the fellowship of the Trinity through faith. Let's call it a day there. This one has again been a long one, a couple minutes over. Next time, we are going to speak about 
the aspect of discipleship that's about bearing fruit and abiding in Christ, and then enter a little mini-series on intimacy with God and what it means to abide in Jesus. Until next time, be one with your brothers and sisters.